You can learn a lot about somebody just by looking at their resume. Wouldn't you agree that if you never met somebody but you saw their resume, you could probably learn a lot about that person? Let me give you a couple of examples. This is Frank's resume, and the only thing on his resume, it says that he was a truck driver for 25 years. Can you picture Frank? Can you see his big shaggy beard? He's kind of overweight, kind of smells like a combination of motor oil and tobacco. You know, that's Frank. You can picture that just by looking at his resume. But let me show you a different resume. This is Colton. Uh, he recently graduated with a liberal arts degree and a minor in French poetry. Now, can you m picture what Colton looks like? Maybe a little different than Frank? You know, I kind of picture somebody who's wearing, like, skinny jeans and a vest, like some thick-framed glasses. He wears a scarf, even though it's not really cold out yet. You know, th that's Colton. And you've never met him, but you can kind of have an idea of what he's like just by looking at someone's resume. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about this idea of resumes. Because having a good resume is so important. If you have a good resume, you can get the dream job you're looking for. If you're in high school and you have a good GPA, and it says you have 100 volunteer hours, and you're involved in sports and National Honor Society, with that resume, you might be able to get into a good school. We love to be able to talk about our resumes because it's so important to have a good one. Over this last year at Holy Trinity, there are a couple times I got to sit in on the hiring process for a couple of positions that we need to get filled. And we put out the application on the internet. And when you put something on the internet, you always know you're gonna get like a wide variety of responses. And a couple of resumes, you know, they made our eyes light up and go, wow, that person's great. Let's pull them in for an interview right away. Uh, but a couple of resumes, honestly, kind of made me laugh. You know, like, wow, they spelled half their words wrong on their resume. Maybe we don't want to hire them. Um, that's what you can learn about from somebody from a resume. If you have a good resume, you can get that interview. But if you don't, then you don't get a, the interview. That's how resumes work. We're used to that process of being hired or getting something good because you have a good resume. But let's switch gears for a moment, and let's talk about spiritual resumes. We know how to make a resume if you want to work on your career. But let's pretend for a moment that you needed to fill out a spiritual resume. If I gave you a pad of paper and a pen, and I told you to write down all of your spiritual strengths and accomplishments and history, what would you write down? What would you put on your spiritual resume? I'll show you mine just as, a, as an example. This is... Pastor Tom's spiritual resume. I was born into a Christian home and baptized as a baby. I attended a Lutheran grade school and high school. After that, I had eight years of training to become a pastor, uh, Bible study every single day, church attendance every Sunday, and I preached the gospel at churches in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Colorado, New York, and Canada. So what do you think? Are you impressed with my spiritual resume? But it doesn't really matter if you're impressed or not, because it's a spiritual resume. The whole purpose of a spiritual resume is to impress God. So, is God impressed? Is God impressed with a resume like that? What about you? What about your spiritual resume? What does God think about your spiritual resume? Is he impressed? When I asked you to fill out a spiritual resume, how did you feel? 
Were you a little anxious, a little nervous? Did you immediately think of a couple things that you could write down on your spiritual resume? But is it enough? Is your resume enough to impress God? In our section of Philippians today, the Apostle Paul is going to show us his spiritual resume. And he doesn't respond with fear or anxiousness. Instead, he takes it in a different direction. And from this section of scripture, we're going to learn how to get a good spiritual resume in God's eyes. So let's begin with the beginning of chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. So Paul starts off this chapter by saying, rejoice in the Lord. I have no problem saying it again, rejoice in the Lord. Because throughout the book of Philippians, he has said rejoice or be joyful so many times. And I find that impressive because of what Paul's about to say next. Because in the upcoming verses, the Apostle Paul needs to point out a big problem that's in the church. He's going to address some false teachers that overemphasize spiritual resumes. And if you follow their teaching, that could lead to some serious spiritual danger. But instead of jumping right into the problem the Apostle Paul gives us the reason why we have to rejoice in the Lord. He reminds the church that all of our sins are forgiven in Jesus' name, and because of that, we get to rejoice no matter what circumstance we're in. And what a great example that is for a church to hear. Because, yes, every single church goes through problems at some point in its life. But no matter how big the problem is, we can still rejoice in the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. That's how Paul begins this chapter. And then after this, he goes on to address the problem. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. The big problem that's out there is dogs. Paul says, beware of dogs. Now this is a phrase that Paul is using to describe some false teachers at that time. And that might not sound as nasty to you today, because if somebody called you a dog, if somebody came up to me after church and said, what's up, dog? You know, I wouldn't be that offended. You can, you can try it out. I would, I'd be fine with that. Uh, but back then, dog was, uh, you know, fighting words. If you called somebody a dog, you'd be ready to fight. Because you're not thinking of like a cute shih tzu or a lap dog or something like that. Dogs back then were wild dogs. They traveled in packs, ate garbage, scavenged throughout the, tr- the streets, um, probably had some type of disease and rabies, something like that. Not the type of dog you want to be cuddling up with. And Paul says, watch out for these dogs. So who are these false teachers that he's talking about? Well, you might immediately assume that it's talking about somebody that says, you know, eat, sleep, party, that type of lifestyle, you know, acting like a dog on fleshly desires. But actually, what we find out in the rest of the chapter is it's quite the opposite. It's somebody who is supposed to be, or who says they're all prim and proper and says you need to follow all these extra rules. They, If I could sum it up in one statement, they would say, if you want to be really saved, then you have to have an outstanding spiritual resume. See, what they were saying is, yeah, 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 Jesus is good. Being saved by grace alone is really good. But do you want to be really saved? Do you want to be a really good Christian? Then you need to do all this extra stuff. So it sounds like these dogs, these false teachers, were Jewish by nature. 
and they were demanding that the new converts to Christianity had to follow these Jewish regulations, you know, worshiping on such and such a day, going to the temple, eating these dietary restrictions, following all these extra rules. So what they're saying is that if you want to be really saved, you need to bump up your spiritual resume. It better look really good. You better add these things to it. And that's such a dangerous lifestyle because you're not only then, you're not relying on Jesus for your whole salvation. Instead, you're taking Jesus and you're adding all this extra stuff to it. So you're not only saved by Jesus alone, you're getting saved by your own salvation. And that's so dangerous because that's not what Scripture teaches. But these types of dogs are still around today. Have you ever heard of a church that comes up with all these extra rules that aren't in the Bible? I'm sure you've had. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Christians talk about how you say, no dancing, no drinking caffeine, no drinking alcohol, no playing cards. They add all these extra rules that aren't in the Bible, and they give the appearance that if you do these things, uh, you're a much better Christian than everyone else. Uh, Let me give you another example of a modern-day dog who I recently ran across the last couple of weeks. His name is Joshua Harris, and he was a pastor at a big megachurch. And Joshua Harris, um, he made the news because he recently uh, came out saying that him and his wife were getting a divorce and that he is no longer a believer in Jesus. Pretty big news to have a pastor of a megachurch come out and say, we're getting a divorce and I don't believe in Jesus anymore. But before Joshua Harris did that, uh, a few years ago, Joshua Harris put out a book. Uh, his most famous book was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And Joshua Harris had this belief out there that uh, dating was sinful because people do sinful things while they date sometimes. So Christians should just stay away from dating, period. And City came up with this idea of what he called courtship, which is kind of like a watered-down version of arranged marriages. And he said that's what Christians need to do if they want to be a good Christian and follow God's advice for marriage. But you know what the problem is with that? Nowhere in the Bible does God forbid dating. So instead, what Joshua Harris did is he came up with these extra rules, and he burdened people with it. There are so many people that came out after reading this book talking about how guilty they felt for dating. Um, Even though they were doing nothing that spoke against Scripture, they still felt guilty because of all the rules that Joshua Harris put on them, because Joshua Harris reinforced making sure everyone lived this extra-pure lifestyle that is even more so than what the Bible said. And Joshua Harris, he couldn't even live up to his standards. So when he broke them, he got a divorce from his wife, And he came out that he's no longer a Christian. Beware of dogs. Beware of people that add extra rules to the Bible that demand you to follow them. Because these false teachers are still around today. Paul says, For it is we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul says we don't make ourselves impressive towards God by the external things that we do. The only thing that we boast about is we boast in Jesus Christ. We boast in Jesus Christ and what he did for us, not what we do. But then he says, let's just pretend for a moment 
that uh, we'll play by your rules. So you false teachers out there, you say you need to do all these extra rules, all these extra things to be a really good Christian. Let's just imagine for a moment that your line of thought, your logic is true. Paul says, I, I, have, uh, I myself have reasons for such confidence. So he says, this, is, this isn't how, the, how God operates, but let's just pretend this is how he operates. And now I'm going to show you my spiritual resume. That's what Paul's saying here. So next, he's going to show his spiritual resume. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul says, you think that nationality is important? Well, check it out. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a purebred Jew. You think that's impressive? Or do you think that following the law is the most important thing? I was a Pharisee. Pharisees added 600 extra rules to the Bible, and I kept all of them. Or do you think that passion and zeal is important? I persecuted the church. I hunted down Christians and had them thrown into jail. Do you think I was passionate? And Paul says that he's going to come to the conclusion that none of those things matter. None of these external things matter. The only thing that matters is what Jesus has done for us. But have you ever run into Christians that kind of say the same thing? Where if you ask them, hey, are you going to heaven one day? They don't respond by saying Jesus. They instead respond by saying something else. Maybe a spiritual resume you might have heard before is somebody saying, well, I go to church so much. I give Lots of money to the church. I don't even cuss. I say things like cheese and crackers. That's, that's as far as I go. That's as bad as I get. I don't watch R-rated movies. I don't use filthy language. I volunteer so much with charity. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Where they kind of just start listing off their spiritual resume and I don't know if they're trying to make you impressed or they're trying to impress God. But that lifestyle is so damaging to rely on your own external works to try and impress God. It kind of reminds me of this news story I recently saw. Man digs 12-foot hole without realizing his metal detector was picking up on his steel cap safety boots. Can you picture that? Uh, a guy with a metal detector, and he's looking for treasure, and it keeps buzzing, keeps going off, um, where he thinks is on the ground, so he starts digging. But 12 feet later in the ground, he finds out that the metal detector was picking up his steel cap safety boots. So what was happening was this guy thought he was getting closer and closer to treasure, to getting something good, but instead he just wound himself digging a big hole. And to me, that's a picture of people who rely on their own spiritual resumes. They think this is the way how to do it. Christianity is all about just like being a nice, good person. So I'm going to work on being really nice. I'm going to work on being really good. I'm going to go to church a lot. I'm going to give a lot of money. And those are all good things. It's good to go to church. It's good for Christians to come to church and to hear God's word. It's good to give money to church so that we can support the gospel message. It's good to stay away from filthy language and filthy movies and all those types of things. But if you rely on those things to impress God, if you rely on those things when you talk about, should I be led into heaven, that's so dangerous. That's so dangerous because you're now relying on yourself instead of looking towards Jesus. It's like you're digging yourself a hole far away from God. 
Because you know what your spiritual resume would really say? If you wrote down everything you said, this is what it would still say. Wicked sinner deserving God's eternal wrath and punishment. God demands perfection. And since none of us can be perfect, that's what your resume says. And no amount of giving to the church can change that. No amount of perfect church attendance can fix that. No dollar amount can change that. No amount of staying away from filthy movies can change that. That's what our spiritual resume says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is saying, whatever I used to think that was so important, when I used to think that it was so important that I was born of a Jew and followed all these laws, whatever I used to think were so important, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. The only thing that's important is knowing what Christ did for us. What is more, I consider everything else a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. So the language gets a little more stern here. He says, if you are relying on your own spiritual resume to get to heaven, that's garbage. Have you walked past a dumpster lately, you know, in the hot 90 degree weather? Uh, You don't like to stand by there too long, do you? Because it smells awful. And so does your attitude of relying on your own external resume to get you into heaven. Instead, the only thing that matters is knowing what Jesus has done for us. Knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because if we can't do it ourselves, then we need to look at Jesus' resume. So let me show it to you. Let me show you Jesus' spiritual resume. First point, he's the son of God. And that's probably about all you need, right? Jesus is the son of God. He was there at the creation of the universe. He spoke and the world and stars and moons came into being. Jesus is the son of God. And he's nicknamed the prince of peace, wonderful counselor, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life. He lived over 33 sinless years. We can't go a day without sinning, but Jesus lived 33 years without sinning. He had over 10,000 hours of volunteer service. While he was in this world, he gave his life to other people. He constantly served other people. He predicted his own death and resurrection. He told everybody, hey, I came to this world, I'm going to die, and three days later, come back to life. And then Jesus died, and he rose again. And since Jesus lived that perfect resume, since Jesus has that resume, he takes our old resume that says wicked sinner, and he rips it up and gives you his instead. Instead, now we have a new spiritual resume that says holy, perfect, innocent child of God. Not because of anything that we did, not because we earned it, but only because of what Jesus did for us. And that's the joy that we have. That's the joy that we have, knowing that it's only done by Jesus, not by us. And that's a message that Michelle needed to hear. A few years ago, I was at a Starbucks in New Mexico, and I was still an intern training to be a pastor. Um, And I was working on a sermon there. I kind of had like some theology books kind of spread out. And that's when Michelle came up and talked to me. She's like, hey, what's going on here? I told her I was studying to be a pastor, and she was like, oh, really? I'm on like the spiritual journey. Can we talk about it sometime? So we met up and we talked about it. 
And she told me about how she recently converted to Islam. She was a white female, not from the Middle East, but she met some people while she was in the military, and now she was a Muslim. And she talked about how hard it was to be a Muslim, about how she followed Ramadan and had to fast, and how she prayed like five times a day during a certain time, and how she followed all these rules. And she mentioned, you know, I really like being a Muslim because it really pushes me. It really pushes me. And I did 90% of the listening. Really the only thing about Christianity I said was this. What I really like about Christianity is that it really takes the weight off our shoulders. So many people turn Christianity into the idea of, you know, you have to do good things to get to heaven. What I like about it is that it says it's all about Jesus and that the work is done. And she said, I've never heard that before. That's the message that we have. That's the joy that we have. That's the burden that's lifted off of our shoulders, knowing that it's not about us. It's not about the things that you have to do to get to heaven. It's all about Jesus. That's the joy that we have. So let's live that joy. Let's spread that joy. Because there are other people out there that have it all wrong. They think Christianity is all about following rules. They think you need to be a good person, a nice person to get to heaven. So let's spread the joy. Let's spread the joy that we know about Jesus. Because a good resume might be able to get you a good job, get you into a good school. But Jesus' resume gets us into eternal life. So let's rely on that resume. We do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.